Thank you, Pastor Rich. So good to have you on this cold morning, cold outside, but warm in here, warm with the love of Jesus Christ. Today we are concluding our series on giving your heart away, based on the verse found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've talked about the fact that our treasure follows our heart. Whatever is most important in our life, our money tends to flow there, and God knows that. And Jesus talks so much in the Gospels about the fact that, you know, one of the reflections of where we're at spiritually is how generous we are with God. Last week we talked about the importance of obeying God and giving to Him and entrusting back to Him what He's given to us to manage. Uh, we talked about the tithe. You can take this green insert out here. These are your message notes uh, for today. And on the back side, you'll see the tithing challenge. talked about that passage in Malachi where God says, Test me in this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and I will take care of you. I will bless you. In fact, uh, we are so excited to have people take this step of faith that we said, hey, listen, if you make that 90-day commitment and you're faithful to God and the tithe, and if God doesn't bless you, we'll give your money back. It's a creative way just to say, hey, take that step of faith because God will bless you. And uh, people made that decision last week. And uh, if you'd be interested in taking advantage of this tithing challenge, just fill that out and put it in the offering, but whether we talk about a tithing challenge, whether we talk about giving to God in general, there's one key component that you have to have, and that is faith. You've got to exercise faith in giving to the Lord. So I want to explore uh, one of the most powerful passages about faith and finances found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So open up your Bibles. I always encourage you to bring the Word with you as we study it together. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We read there, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is writing to his friends at the church of Corinth. And he's challenging them again to give to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was a very poor church. Also, they were going through a very serious famine at this time. So, as he goes on his missionary journeys, he was always raising money for the church in Jerusalem and other churches that were impoverished. And so, he's reminding them of this. In fact, he's going to give them an example of another group of churches that gave with incredible generosity. We're going to be looking at that today, the churches of Macedonia and how Paul used them as an illustration to the church at Corinth about how they uh, should be given. Now, let's look at uh, the churches of Macedonia. If you'll look at this map here in the top left-hand corner, you'll see uh, Macedonia written there. And you'll see Berea. Maybe you remember that the Bereans were the ones who didn't uh, take Paul at his word, but uh, they studied the Scriptures 
themselves, very devoted to knowing the Word of God. Uh, then you also see Thessalonica. Remember First and Second Thessalonians. There's a very helpful red dot. Uh, uh, identify Thessalonica there. And that was another church in Macedonia. Can you get it right in the center of that black spot? Uh, that's all right. Okay. Then we have the church at Philippi. And, of course, that is the book of Philippians, a letter that he wrote to them. We're going to be studying that starting on Easter. So you'll learn a lot about the people at Philippi. But those are the three primary churches when we talk about the churches in Macedonia. This is uh, Paul's third missionary journey uh, that he went on, this particular uh, map. But he's challenging the people at Corinth by talking about these churches in Macedonia and how they gave. Now, you need to understand that the people in Macedonia were very, very poor. They were poor for several reasons. First of all, because of Roman taxation. The Romans built an incredible empire. They built a highway system, a road system that went throughout the empire, but they did it in the backs of their people. They taxed their people, and they taxed them. I mean, Macedonia was known for gold and silver mining. They were known for shipbuilding, timber, salt. But they never saw any of that profit because Rome taxed it away from them. On top of that, they were persecuted, as many Christians were in that day. Now, Jews weren't persecuted. They were kind of just accepted. Judaism was an ancient religion, but when it came to Christianity, uh, it was viewed as a superstitious religion. It was something new. It didn't really have a lot of history behind it. So Christians were the most persecuted people, the most unpopular people that you could find in that day. And if you have ever been part of a group that's been discriminated against, you know how it feels. When you go for a job, uh, you're the last considered, or maybe they, of course, don't tell you, but you maybe know why you weren't hired. Uh, you're unpopular with everybody in town. Nobody wants to hang out with you. People just hate you. And that's what the people in Macedonia were going through, in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. They were being persecuted for their faith. Life was just incredibly difficult for them. So let's take a look at how they responded to that. Second Corinthians 8.1, we started out. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The first thing you need to realize is that everything we're going to study this morning is only because the grace of God that was given to these churches through Jesus Christ. We look in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, just down the chapter. It says, For you know, Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that by his poverty you might become rich. The secret to how the churches of Macedonia 
responded in such a supernatural way is that they were fully aware of their identity in Jesus Christ. They knew that Jesus Christ was their Savior. They knew that they were spiritually wealthy. Now, as we go throughout the week, we are constantly reminded about the fact that we're not wealthy, one might say, because we see cars, we see houses, we see clothes, we see commercials, media reminding us of all the things that we don't have, and uh, these advertisers telling us that our lives are not complete. So we tend to dwell upon about we tend to dwell quite a bit about on uh, what we don't have if we're listening uh, to those voices. The friends, we as Christ followers need to understand our identity in Christ and our spiritual wealth. And we need to be constantly reminded, just as people are trying to constantly remind us that we're not wealthy. And we have to say, no, that's a lie from Satan. We are wealthy. We have Jesus Christ as our Savior who gave his very life in order that we might have a relationship with the Father. We have Jesus Christ who we depend on a daily basis, who we let live through us, who we depend upon. We have God the Father, Papa, Abba. We have God the Father. He's our dad. And we have a forever relationship with him. And he's always there to watch over us. He's always there to care for us. He's always there to meet our needs. And then we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is within us, the Holy Spirit who empowers us, the Holy Spirit who teaches us God's Word and convicts us of sin in our lives and who guides us as we go from day to day, the Holy Spirit who interprets our prayers to God. Friends, we are incredibly wealthy in God. And we need to continue to remember that we need to continue to live as wealthy people spiritually as we walk from day to day. And it's these churches in Macedonia who were extremely impoverished that understood this. And unfortunately, it's our wealth here in the United States that keeps us from understanding our spiritual wealth. If we were impoverished, we would think more about our spiritual wealth. But because we are wealthy, we think about the wealth that we don't have. Right? Isn't that strange? Yeah. We need to remember that we're wealthy in the Lord. Well, let's take a look at the people in Macedonia and what they were going through. In verse 2 it says, for in a severe test of affliction. What was a test of affliction they were going through? We talked about extreme poverty. We talked about persecution, taxation. For in a severe test of affliction. Affliction is just the idea of pressure. Pressure in your life. Stress 
in your life. They were under an incredible amount of stress. Maybe you're there today. You're sitting there. You look good. But at the same time, if we could see your state of mind, it's just like your head's about to explode because of the stress that you're under. Well, again, they had stress going on in their life. But it's really important to understand that word test there. That God allowed the stress in their life in order to test them. Not that their heads would explode, but that they would trust in God for their provision. The idea of test there is metal being put in a fire to be found true. And some of you are going through a test right now. Some of you are in the middle of a financial test, a job test, a relational test, a physical test. And life is not fun. Life is overwhelming. But I would encourage you in your daily office to go home and meditate on James chapter 1. It talks about the fact that God allows tests in our lives that He might forge the character of Christ within us which is much more valuable than our peace of mind, one might say, or the idea that we're enjoying life. That's what the Bible teaches. The most important thing is that we're becoming like Christ. So they were in the middle of this severe test of affliction. And then Paul characterizes how they gave to the church at Jerusalem that was even worse off than they were. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So first of all, they had this incredible joy, not the jump up and down type of joy, but the joy that runs deep within our souls because we know God as our Father. He's a trusted commodity. We're dependent upon Him no matter what storms that might come. And their extreme poverty. The word poverty here is not the normal word for poverty as we see it in the New Testament. It's like <laughs> it's like homelessness poverty. It's like you're just barely eking by. You're barely staying alive. So he uses that unique word, and then he adds extreme to it. Deep poverty. (laughs) He couldn't state it more clearly that these people didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. Life really couldn't be worse for them when it came to material possessions, when it came to how they were treated by people, they were in the midst of a severe test, but they had an abundant joy because their lives were centered on Christ and the foundation of their life was the knowledge of their spiritual wealth in God. So here's the strangest combination. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So 
Not just their abundance of joy, but their extreme poverty. Those two things combined together have overflowed. That's the idea of a river overflowing. Now, we don't like rivers overflowing, right? <laughs> but back in that day in the desert, that's a good thing. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And this verse has always just kind of puzzled me. These words do not go together. Severe affliction, abundance of joy, extreme poverty, wealth of generosity. It does not compute in a logical world those statements. But in God's world, it makes They overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That idea of generosity, the word liberality, is that you are single-minded. When you are filled with generosity, you are single-minded in wanting to give, in wanting to bless, in wanting to pour grace into other people's lives. Most of the time we're double-minded. God prompts us to give. Help that person out and say, man, I'd love to help that person out. But if I help that person out, then I'm going to have less for me, less for the security of my future, less for the things that I want. I'd love to help that person out, but I've got my needs over here. And you've got to understand, God, if I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of of me. God. <laughs> you see the problem? The problem is, we don't think that God is going to take care of us. And therefore, we cannot be generous toward other people. We cannot be generous toward His work because somebody's got to take care of us. And, well, God can't do it, can He? You see, the people of these churches believed they had faith that God would provide. And therefore, they could have a single-mindedness about being generous because God had their back. They could give things away that they did not have because God was filling in the back. He just kept the resources coming, even though they were dirt poor. Are you dirt poor today? If you make more than $2,500, you're in the top 90% of income earners in this world. If you make more than fifty grand, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. I pray that you're not dirt poor. The majority of us, of course, are not. We're one percenters. <laughs> right? We're one percenters. And just because of our culture, because of the nature of life, we're just thinking about all the things that we don't have. And I tell you, I just look at the churches in Macedonia, and I am humbled, friends. I'm humbled in the way that I think that I'm poor sometimes. I don't even know what. Poverty 
looks like. I've been incredibly blessed by God. But even though I've been incredibly blessed by God, I still struggle in trusting Him that He's going to be there tomorrow. That He's going to be there five years from now. That He's going to be there 15 years from now. So I've got to take care of that. You know? Faith. Faith. Confidence in God and only in Him. Let's take a look at Luke 6:38. This is Jesus speaking about faith. He says, "Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Or with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you." So, people back in that day, they went to the market, the grain market, and they typically didn't have a bag. So what they do is they'd have these long gowns, long garments, and they would have a sash around them. And so when they went to the person who sold the grain, they would pull out a little bit of the garment, they'd make a little pouch, and the person would pour the grain in to the pouch. And they would take it home and put it in the place where they put the grain. So that's the idea here. You know, put it into your lap. Put it into your pouch. So God says, listen, you want to be blessed by me? You want me to take care of your needs? What you need to do is pull out your pouch and the amount of garment you give me, that's how I'm going to bless you. That's how I'm going to take care of you. As you measure it, I'm going to be measuring it out to you. Now, God says, whenever you do pull out your pouch, I'm going to take care of you beyond your expectations. <laughs> that means that, you know, I'm not just going to pour that grain in. I'm going to push that grain down. I'm going to shake it and shake it so every molecule of that garment is full. And you know what? You're going to have that pouch open and you're going to be walking home and you're, that grain's going to be falling out because it just keeps coming. <laughs> you're going to go, whoa! There's more grain than I've ever had before. God will always meet your needs beyond your expectation. He's not saying you're going to be rich. He's not going to be saying you're not going to be sick. He's not going to be saying you're not going to have relational problems. But one promise He gives you, He will meet your needs beyond your expectation. And do you know how much He will meet your needs? By the faith that you exhibit and give to Him. And we have a tough time doing that. How many of you invest in stock in some way? You got an IRA or whatever, yeah. We all do in some way or another. <laughs> but let's say you you're investing in stock, uh, and you're trying to 
bring a return about. So what do you do? Well, you do a lot of study. You find out the best companies to invest in. You consult with people in the know. And then you make that decision. How many do that outside of some type of retirement account where you actually invest in stock? Raise your hand. Okay. Good thing to do. Nothing wrong with it. But is that not an incredible step of faith to invest in any stock? Would you agree with me? Of course it is. After the last five years, we know it's an incredible act of faith to invest in stock, to take the precious money God has entrusted to you, to put it into a stock and watch and see what happens. Now again, the majority of us would have no problem doing that. And it's a risk. It's a calculated risk. What God says is, put your faith in me, and I will give you a return beyond what you expect. Guarantee. Let's say somebody comes to you. They say, I can guarantee you 20%. I can guarantee you 20% on your investment. You say, you're nuts. You're a liar. <laughs> right? <laughs> God is the only one who can guarantee a return beyond your expectations. Now, the question that you and I have to ask is, are we, are we investing in God? Are we investing our financial resources in God? Are we investing our marriage in God? Are we investing our kids in God? Are we investing our adult children in God? Are we investing our depression in God? Are, are, are we investing the wilderness we're going through in God? Are we going to God and saying, God, I am going to put my faith in You in this difficult area of my life. I want to control it. I, I want to call the shots, but I want to do what you want me to do. And so I'm investing in you. I'm investing my faith in you. Name it. Where are you doing it? Where in your life are you looking at this week where you don't know what's going to happen because it's up to God? God has to show up in order... For your needs to be met. And if there's no area of your life like that, you don't need God. And unfortunately, that's very sad. Because you're never going to experience what God wants to give you. He's just saying, give it to me. The churches of Macedonia understood this. They didn't have anything. And they kept giving because they know that they had made their investment in God, that they were trusting in God, and that He was going to come through. Same principle found in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. By your faith, you will be blessed. I mean, God just keeps saying it over and over and over again. 
Let's jump down to verse 8. Now, this is a great verse, all right? Now, just read it once to yourself, okay? That is an iron-clad promise. Do you have any lawyers in the room? I know we have a lawyer in the church. They're not here today. I think it's uh, Lance. Lance here? All I'm saying, you take this to a lawyer and saying, is there any way that God could, you know, get out of this? Like, are there any loopholes? I mean, he, he's saying that he's going to provide for me. In this particular statement from a lawyer's perspective, does he have any angles that I'm not thinking about? I mean, you know, he says he wants to give me grace. He wants to provide. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Friends, God is saying, I'm going to take care of you. Just put your faith in Me. Open up the pouch. Let Me bless you. And what do we do? Well, God, I'm not sure about that. I've, I've been doing a pretty good job of managing my life up to this point, and I'm a pretty good worrier. I, I figure things out. <laughs> Come on! Come on! Look at this verse! God's saying, trust me! Trust me with whatever issue you have going on in your life. Cry out to me, and I will meet your needs beyond your expectations. Do you believe it? That is the question. Do you believe that? Do you? I'm not asking you to clap. I'm asking you to answer the question. <laughs> I appreciate the clap. You know what I'm saying? Take this question home and ask it. Pray it. Go to the Lord because I do not believe it to the point that I should believe it. And I've been a Christian for a long time. It's so hard for us to express faith in God. And you know, in my experience and as I've watched others grow, Unfortunately, this is how we do it. Let's put the little pouch out there. <laughs> Just a little bit. Let's see here. Okay. All right, God. Fill me up. <laughs> Give me to work on time. I'm really stretching you here. Okay, I'm giving a little bit of control of my life over to you. All right? Just give me to work on time, right? It's, all, it's baby steps, guys. If you can take the big step, oh, pray to God. that I mean, you're going to need Jesus Christ's power to do any of this. But usually, 
it's baby steps. But it just frustrates me so much because there's so many Christ followers who don't even take baby steps. They just remain entrenched all their life thinking, yeah, God loves me, but I really don't believe Him. Just say it. Just go home and say, I don't trust you, God, because that's the way you're living. I don't believe that you can provide my needs beyond my expectations. God, help me. Help me to have faith. Because I don't have it. It's tough, guys. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. And your walk with God. It's all about faith. And, and my challenge for you this morning, take the one issue that is burdening you so much and God, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait on you. Fill my lap. I don't know how you're going to do it. All I know is that you have promised over and over in Scripture that you will meet my needs beyond my expectations. Second Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, he talks to the Corinthians now after laying out this illustration, this beautiful inspirational story about the Macedonian churches. Now he's going to challenge them. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, talking about, you know, this whole thing we talked about. He says, you're growing in your faith and trusting Jesus. You're growing in your speech. In the original language, it speaks about doctrine, about knowing the truth of Scripture. In knowledge, in the original language, it speaks of being able to apply that truth. So you've got to know the truth. You've got to know how to apply it. In all earnestness, that speaks of diligence, commitment, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about the grace of giving. He's saying, put your faith in God and see what He does. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. This is very insightful. He says, I say this to you, my friends at Corinth, not as a command. So he says, I'm not, I'm not commanding you to do this, to give to the people at Jerusalem but to prove by the earnestness of others, that's the Macedonian churches, but to prove by the Macedonian churches their illustration of their faith 
that you'll be like them, that, that your love also is genuine. What Paul is saying is when you give in faith, when you give beyond what you are able to give, when you have the single-mindedness of generosity, when you give not knowing where the money is going to come from, but you're expecting God to come through, that proves that your love for God is genuine. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you exhibit faith in God, especially in the area of your finances, obviously there's many areas where we prove our love to God in faith. But Paul knows it's such a difficult issue. He says, especially when you give. And they had so much more money than the people in Macedonia. They were like middle-income people. He says, when you give like the people in Macedonia, it shows that God has your heart. That your love for God is genuine. And that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you, my friends. That you would go into your daily office this week and just ask God, Lord, first of all, where do you want me to, to exhibit faith? Just to continue to give it over to you, not to be anxious to say, God, I want you to show up in my life. And then also in this regard, regards to giving, you know, show me what you want me to do. Show me how you want me to stretch my faith in this area. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the faith of the people in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea that Paul speaks of in their giving to the church of Jerusalem when they had every reason to say, hey, we're just about as bad as they are. <laughs> Have somebody else give that money. No, Lord, it was their faith that made the difference. It was their track record with you that made the difference. They could give. They could give because they knew that you would meet their needs beyond their expectations. And I pray that you would teach Dan Harrison this truth in a deeper way in 2013. And I pray this for every one of my friends, that our faith muscle would grow this year, whatever area of life it is that we would just have that have that pouch, that garment pouch grow larger and larger as we've seen how you've worked and we know we can depend upon you. In Christ's name, amen.